Good day, good folks. You are listening to Talk That Keeps You Woke. And with your awakening, we hope that you will take in the information and knowledge we provide. So make sure you like and subscribe while you hop on this ride as we inform, persuade, entertain, and engage in discussion. Welcome to Pot Liquor Podcast, which is knowledge to feed your soul. I make up one half of Pot Liquor. I go by Dr. A, the inquisitive one, a great debater, Mr. Slow Talker, a rhetorician, and an all-around nice guy, and a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. The other half of Pot Liquor is my homie, my dear friend for more than 30 years, Kim Parker Jackson Esquire, the legal one. Mrs. Creativity, never obnoxious, the gifted one, a terrific lady, and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Hey, what's up, partner? Welcome back. How are you doing? How was your week? Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone. I am well, Dr. A, and my week was good. I officially went back into the office after working remotely um, due to COVID and it was bittersweet. It was nice to see people, but I'm not really excited about having to go back into an office. And how was your week? Uh, Everything was fine. It was like our first week off uh, from school. So um, I enjoyed it. I kicked off some research that I will talk about one day. But other than that, everything is good. And welcome to Pot Liquor Podcast. As always, if you check in with our show, you know we start off with the wow for the week. Okay. This is a well-known author. Who came out during the Harlem Renaissance, Zora Neale Hurston. And so her quote, uh, her words of wisdom for the readers, there are years that ask questions and years that answer. So since my partner picked this quote out, I'm going to let her start off with it. Well, I mean, I do think that um, this resonates with me because... It actually reinforces the need to have patience in our lives because sometimes things happen and it could be years before you understand why something happened. Um, And we look back over our lives and realize that our footsteps have been ordered by God. And so another way to say it is you will understand it better by and by. What does it mean to you? So trying to figure this out, I started looking at past years. Mm-hmm. Years that made me ask questions like uh, 2001, September 11th, um, known as 9-11. You know, we ask questions like, why did this happen? Why did this attack on America? Then other years, you can uh, find out some answers to that. Um, Also, in 2020, uh, when COVID came down like a mighty, I don't know, a mighty bomb, I guess, on the entire world, um, 
and people can no longer go outside um, and congregate or socialize with one another, the world became a little scary because no one knew what was coming back um, and how things come back. But then, you know, years later, you know, you get answers uh, to that question um, of this dreadful disease that um, took a lot of lives around the world. So uh, I thought about that, um, just looking at the years that she was talking about. My take may be wrong, but that's what I thought about when um, uh, I read this quote from her. So, yes. Let us move on. Well, today I want to talk about something that I really like. And that is cookies from Tate's Bake Shop. These are the absolute best cookies ever. And I wish I didn't like them so much because... Why are they so good? Well, for me, I like crispy cookies. So these cookies are like thin and crispy. And they come in all different flavors. There's chocolate. My favorite are chocolate chip with pecan, you know, pecans. Um, these are mint chocolate chip ones that I wanted to try. Also delicious. They have coconut crisp. Oh, those are delicious. Oatmeal raisin, um, lemon, anything you could think of. And they sell these at Target, Walmart, Giant, Safeway. You can find them at almost any grocery store. And these are really delicious. Um, I try to stay away from them because I, I literally will eat this whole bag with no problem and no guilt because they're worth every calorie. Two of these cookies equal 150 calories. And there's like probably about 12 or 14. Yeah, I think 12. I think there's yeah. four in each of the white little things. And there's three yes. of those little white packages. So I would just take out one little white package at one time and and, <laughs> and put the other pack, the whole other pack away. Cause you try were, to hide them from yourself. Yeah. I think the reason why you can run through them is they're also they're thin cookies. Right. They're not right. thick. So they try to get you like, uh, you know, you eating some, you know, some delicious stuff high in calories, but you ain't really eating that much because they thin. <laughs> right exactly uh, but they are good I too like the uh, chocolate chips and, and the pecan or pecan however you pronounce it right yeah depending if you're from the north or the south so and let us move on and let us move on oh, what's going on what's going on oh. 
So in the news, we have uh, Marjorie Green Teller and Jamal uh, Bowman going at it. And Marjorie Taylor Green. Yeah. Green, I'm sorry. Marjorie Taylor Green, not Marjorie <laughs> Green Teller. Uh, my bad on that. And let's get into uh, what was said. Let's try to go back. Okay. So much security. There was not enough. I was swarmed. It's all on video. Everyone can see this. But I will tell you what's on video is Jamal Bowman shouting at the top of his lungs, cursing, calling me a horrible, calling me a white supremacist, which I take great offense to. That is like calling a person of color the N-word, which should never happen. Calling me a white supremacist is equal to that, and that is wrong. Jamal Bowman was down there cursing at me, telling me to get the F out of there. And he was leading the mob right outside the vehicle I was sitting in. We have this all on video. Yeah. And then at, on the Capitol steps yesterday, yeah. he was the one that approached me. Mm -hmm. Even CNN reported that. Yelling, shouting, raising his voice. He has aggressive, uh, his physical mannerisms are aggressive. And he just recently uh, shoved Thomas Massey um, at just outside the House chamber. I think there's a lot of concern about Jamal Bowman. So, and and I am concerned about it. I feel threatened by him. Um, he not only led a mob, mob there, but his boisterous lies. And I'll tell you another thing he said outside there. He was saying, save your party. I kept telling him, no, save the country. It's not about political parties. We shouldn't care about political parties. We should care about the country because no matter what our political beliefs are, Jamal Bowman, I don't know what his political beliefs are. I know what mine are, but we both we both swore an oath to serve the country here in Congress as representatives. So I, I am very concerned about Jamal Bowman, and he's someone that people should watch. Okay, so that was, that was what was said by her. This is the incident that she's talking about. Pay close attention. It's small him because it saved the party. The party's hanging by a thread. We got to get rid of Biden. The party's hanging. The party's hanging by a thread. You got to save the party. Listen, no more QAnon. No more madness. No more debt ceiling nonsense. Come on now, save the party. Save America. Save the children. Do something about guns. Right. Come on, border. invest in close education. The border, save the, the border is the border. What about is the children? Hey, where are the kids? About? Where are the migrant what children? Kids? You guys have We're lost accepting them. them. We love no, them. No, you've lost we them. We love the There's migrant children. What do you mean lost missing. them? You can't find them. Wait, what are you That's talking about? That's your administration. What are you talking about? Yeah, migrant children are missing. We don't know the names. Oh, you're sadly missing the first one. Hey, let me tell you something. Listen, Jamal. I need you to save the party. 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 And, um, you know, we're villainized in media, we're criminalized in media, we're seen as hypersexual, we're seen as threatened. And it's a wonder that she was using some of these words. Now, if you listen to him, he, when he was discussing something 
with her outside. There was no mob there. Or from the camera views that we saw, there was no mob. The the media was out in force. And he was laughing the whole time he was talking. And you heard the laughter in his voice and in her voice. So to get up here and says, this man is is threatening, he's aggressive. He's, she's saying all the buzzwords that given like if this was 1947, 1957, and she was saying this to the police, it could have got him hung. It could have got him shot and killed. And um, I don't think it's a mistake uh, why she used the words. Um, and a lot of people say these are dog whistles. They're not. They're like bullhorns now. Like these words are known. Um, this is a script that folks use to get uh, black men, black people in in uh, people of color in trouble. Um, and I think she went out of her way to do so. Um, giving all the nonsense she has spewed since she has come into Congress um, to play games like this um, is uncalled for. What say you? I agree with everything you said. It's uncalled for. It's dangerous. It's irresponsible. And I agree with you that it appears to be intentional. She knows exactly what her words can evoke from people and not just from the police, but from just the regular crazy people that follow her and um, align themselves with her. Um, I would only add to what you said is I found it interesting that she basically, first of all, she said that he was intimidating and threatening, but in the video, she didn't back away. <laughs> I mean, if somebody's intimidating you or threatening you, you would back away from them and get away from him. And she wasn't doing that. She was matching his energy, in my opinion. So she's saying he was shouting at the top of his lungs. She was shouting at the top of her lungs. So she can do it, but he can't do it. And so I just I don't think, think either one of them was shouting at the top of their lungs. They were I just think they were speaking passionately about what they believed. Right. And then she said he was cursing, telling her to get the F out of there. Did you hear that? I, I never. No, heard. I didn't hear that, but I'm not saying we had all the videos. Oh, right. Yeah, that so. could have been somewhere else. But I mean, she, you know, lost credibility by, you know, by exaggerating about all the other stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I thought it was interesting that she said that he called her a white supremacist and calling someone a white supremacist is like calling a person of color, the N word. Um, so she, but you know, she, first of all, I don't agree with that. That's not true, but she never said I'm not a white supremacist. She, it, it's, it seems to me like she would defend her, herself and say, I'm not a white supremacist. So is he just calling it like it is calling her calling it as he sees it um and there's plenty of evidence that she is in fact a white supremacist and she is on video giving a speech at a far-right conference called america first political action conference and when she was questioned about it she doubled down on it doubled down on her decision to speak at that conference, even when she was criticized by members of her own party, Mitch Romney and, I mean, Mitt Romney and Mitch McConnell. So, 
you know, I just found that that is very telling that she didn't say, well, I'm not a white supremacist. So why did he call me a white supremacist? She just said, it's like calling someone the N word, which is ridiculous. I mean, she says a lot of things that are just flat out ridiculous. I mean, she's just, to me, just not intellectually honest and just not a very smart person in general. So yeah, I, she, shame on her for, for what she said about Jamal Bowman, the congressman from New York. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't think it's worth to get into a discussion with her. Um, I think that the public is smart enough to know the nonsense she spews. Um, you know, I think even her district does. Um, let's see if she gets voted in again. But let me ask you this, because I think this is a real problem with black men having to feel as if they have to fold themselves into a box. They have to sort of dumb themselves down. They have to be someone that they're not to make white people feel more comfortable or to sort of try to avoid being criticized or being accused of being intimidating or threatening. It's like- yeah, I call it relaxing whiteness. Um, I don't know about dumb yourself down with that. Um, you know, even though there was a time where if you were smart, they would hang you and call you an uppity nigga um, because you knew so much. But I feel like relaxing whiteness, not making them uh, feel, you know, scared or threatening. I think, you know, Sometimes folks will have to do that so they don't call cause or call negative attention to themselves. Um, but I remember I was in class my first year um, at A&M doing a PhD program. And this is a, a, around the time the police, uh, that the black gentleman up in Dallas was shooting the police. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was it, it it was like maybe a month after that. And a classmate of mine, white woman, diminutive in size, stood up. She was sitting across the table from me and screamed at the top of her lungs and shouted at her lungs about the incident. What's going on? Why is nothing happening to him? He shot and killed cops. Is that the answer? Blah, blah, blah. And she said it like loud. She was screaming at me. And then when it ended, I looked at the professor who did absolutely nothing or said absolutely nothing. And nothing was said by any of my other classmates. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) this is an example of white privilege. Because that's exactly what it was. Because if I would have got up <laughs> and screened at the top of my lung, they would. The p- professor would have said, "Well, at least let's take a break. Let's all calm down." That's the minimum he would say. Right. Okay, we're getting out of hand. Let's calm down. Let's take a break. They may have called security. They may have called security, right? <laughs> but I'm just saying something would have been said, but nothing right. said when. She and let me say this. Um, I give it to her that she was, you know, passionate about the incident. Mm-hmm. Let her be that way. My problem is 
when I'm that way, you misconstrue my passion as anger and crazy. And so that's the thing. And so no, it's almost as if we are trying to silence black men. Because if you want to avoid that kind of a reaction or avoid being misunderstood or misconstrued, you might just say, forget it. I'm just not going to address it. I'm not going to say anything. So we cannot silence black men in this country. It's not fair. When, we, when we're in a, a time when we are encouraging everyone to be who you are, transgender, LGBTQIA+, whoever you are, be that proudly and loudly. Just be your show. We should all be able to show up in the world as our full selves. And that should be the same for black men. That's how I feel about it. So again, it's almost as if we are trying to silence black men by how, how we respond to these, to these altercations and these issues that come up. You know what I mean? Yeah. I so, do. yeah, we got to do better. And let us move on. Okay, we move from one situation to the next. This is <laughs> a tricky situation, I guess. It's, it's worth a long discussion. Yeah. But, uh, we have the migrants. This is in Chicago, but it's happening around the United States. It's in a it's an, in a predominantly black neighborhood called South Shore. South Shore uh, yeah. migrants uh, are getting bused by five hundred, two hundred fifty to five hundred people at a time, and this is an old high school that wasn't being used, and they're putting these migrants in the gym. Um, and allowing them to like shower and I think at least sleep on a cot or a mat because otherwise they were at police stations crowding the police stations up. Um, they weren't showering every night there. So they're trying to put them in a place that's more conducive or more comfortable for them. But these places happen to be in poor sections of communities or high crime communities and also um, they put them in these places where they once promised to do something with the poor people of color in these communities which mm -hmm. they haven't and so now all of a sudden they're putting things together for them so they can you know it's like a in the meanwhile place while they find shelter yeah in, a temporary shelter they're calling it a respite center I yeah. think so yeah um but my, I remember my sister was telling me something and my good friend from back home in New York, um, mm -hmm. what was going on there, the tent cities in Central Park. And if I'm wrong about this situation, I'll call my sister and blame it on her. <laughs> um, but, you know, my friend was like co-signing her too, like, like these different areas where they're placing these people. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm just thinking it sounds like it could be a ticking time bomb. Um, it, it, it can cause hostility um, because the the migrants that are coming in, they're coming into a different 
you know, cultural place. And, you know, there's barely room there now. And they're kind of like stuffing these folks in. And sometimes that can cause uh, commotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think that this really is, uh, again, before I said that I am when we talked about immigration before, I said that I am pro-immigration and I really am, but this is where I have to draw the line. Um, I think it's unacceptable to put the needs of the black community here um, below the needs of migrants from other countries. And only because um, the black people in this community have been demanding services and demanding to you know have their other needs met for decades, and it has basically gone ignored. And I just think in that case, it's unacceptable to all of a sudden treat the migrant situation as an emergency and to totally disregard the needs of the citizens who've been making these demands for years. So that's where I draw the line. And I believe we live in a country that has enough resources that both can be done. And it, to me, it either has to be done simultaneously or you have to prioritize the needs of the black community in this case. That's where I am with it. And, you know, I think it's unfortunate, though, when we have to get into comparisons, we were here first. We should do this first. So I didn't say that. I didn't say you did. OK, so why that, are you saying somebody was here first? No, I'm saying you. OK, we can get into it. You you said that we have to prioritize one over the other. What we I'm, do. And that's what I'm saying is like, like we have to take care of one first. And the other then at the same time you said you can simultaneously right be done simultaneously that speech is better than the first speech right so to me it's just like yeah it shouldn't be in a situation where it's confrontational um, right because they're right. trying to so, so your simultaneous comments i i do agree with um your prioritize I just think that causes conflict. Okay, listen. This is what this is what the older woman Michelle Harris said in at a, a council meeting, city council meeting. She said, "While we recognize this is a humanitarian crisis that may constitute an emergency for the city of Chicago, it does not constitute an emergency for the South Shore community nor the residents of the Eighth Ward." And so how is it that these citizens in this community have been demanding services, like basic services, like having the police show up on time and making that empty building into a community center that can help kids after school or help people have recreation in the community or have a grocery store? Or, you know, how can you just ignore those demands? Isn't that important? And so when these people show up, all of a sudden it's an emergency. I don't, I don't think that's fair. While I think, you know, we should be uh, taking, uh, taking care of 
uh, migrants that come into the country that need uh, uh, that need what what is the word when they're seeking okay. asylum when they're seeking asylum from war torn countries. Um, yes, we should while while we should have empathy for them and we should do all that we can for them. We cannot prioritize their needs above the needs of the black community here. That's and 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 that's why I'm glad that they're suing and they're saying, you know, basically they're suing and saying this is not what they had signed up for because they're saying that using the former school as a temporary shelter violates zoning laws and it violates the terms of the lease between Chicago Public Schools and the city. And they allow the, you know, th those terms allow the property to be used as a police and fire training center, which apparently the citizens didn't want that either. But they said they finally, you know, compromised and said, OK, but they're saying now this is too far. This is this is just too, too far to now all of a sudden you're going to house house these migrants um, and provide them with with. Uh, with services and resources and things that we've been asking for for decades. That's just, that's just fundamentally unfair to me. I mean, so I, you're agree, saying that, I agree with that, but right. it is the thing that makes it difficult. It is a humanitarian situation. These folks are coming in. They don't have any place to live. So okay. Well, why is it that? It, well, let it me always, finish. Let me okay. finish. So they're moving in, into a gymnasium. That's not an ideal place to be, to live in a gymnasium housed with probably 400 or 500 people in the gym. That's not like they live in the life of Riley. I do agree with you, though, that we have to look at this differently. I think that there needs to be, while you're working on this, and that's why I like the word simultaneous, like throw the money in to, you know, do other things for that neighborhood or that community. Um, I'm not saying necessarily that these migrant workers need to come into these gyms, but I'm trying to figure out what's their reason. Reading in that article, it's just like they're temporary spaces that they're going to have these folks in so they can work with them for a couple of weeks and then get them out to different locations where they can have a job and possibly get a shelter that they can stay in. And I don't know how they're going to do that. I don't know if they're shipping them off to different cities when they're doing this. So it's not the ideal, but they're doing something for them. Um, at the same time, the reason why I think that, <laughs> the reason why I think this is difficult because I think you don't want to cause problems between uh, two sectors of the communities, like, you know, the migrant workers against poor blacks or poor Hispanics or poor, you know, that, that I don't want to see going on. Um, but I always ask myself if I, part, if I was a part of the administration, what would I do? Well, I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time, but, 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 but what it is problematic for me here is the timing of it. These people say that they've been asking for these services and resources for decades. It should, it just should, you know, it's, that's what's 
fundamentally unfair to me because, okay, I've been asking for this for decades and then someone shows up and then all of a sudden you can make things happen. You understand what I'm saying? So that's, that's not what's what that's, that's, uh, that's fundamentally unfair. And the residents are also saying that the center, when these plans could also pose a potential threat to the safety property and overall well-being of South shore residents. Right. So, that's and that's right. another thing that they were upset about is that the administration, the local um, officials there were not transparent with the residents. They didn't, it's like they weren't even involved in the decision-making and they didn't know that this was happening. And then all of a sudden it's like, this is, you know, um, but what would you do though? What would, what would what I would do? You do? You're I'm, saying it's not if I'm who, if I'm, if you in charge, like, what would you do? What would you do with the migrant folks? If I was in charge, I would have bent over backwards to make sure that my constituents had what they needed in the community decades ago when they asked for it, because it's not that hard. I mean, if you can get resources from the federal government to assist these migrant workers, then you can find some resources to 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 meet the needs of the residents. Right, well, of you ain't answering my question. So that's what I would have done. I know. I would have. I would have made sure that if this did happen, you're saying you would have done this before there was a migrant problem. Right? right. There is a migrant problem now. What do you do now? Not what you would have did 25. Years. I would find out from the governor of uh, Illinois if there's somewhere else that, to to house these migrants. Well, do you know they're not just going to Chicago? Well, I know that. Okay. I mean, they, well, that's why I said the governor of Illinois. Illinois. Maybe they can go somewhere else in Illinois. Maybe they can go somewhere else in Chicago. But why are they being, why are they coming to my neighborhood? Space. I need to take care of my constituents. Space. Like, I, I feel for these people. I have empathy for these people. But my constituents have needs. I mean, I don't understand how these people can expect to stay in office if they're not meeting the basic needs of their constituents in a community. I just couldn't, I would not be able to do that. Like, in good conscience, I'm solving someone else's problem outside of my community before I solve the problems of my own community, that to me just makes no sense. I would not consider myself just an adequate representative if I were to let that happen. I, I really wouldn't. I would. That's a dereliction of duty because your first priority should be your constituents. That's just as simple as that to me. So, like I said, if anything, I it would have to be it would have to happen simultaneously. But I'm not going to take care of these migrant migrants first before one need I is lower than the, one need is lower than the other. Am I right or am I wrong though? If that if you're you have merit to what you say. That's right, that's it. That's just not what you I'm have merit about. to what you say, but there's another side to us. Like you said, you start off with like, yeah, I know it's a humanitarian problem. Yeah, it is a humanitarian problem. So what do you do? You know, these spaces, these spaces that are, that they're living in, we have to one check do they own these places or are they on government property? You're talking about this is apparently a uh a vacant a vacant school they said, i heard the reason why they put them there is because they had the space. they're trying to put these folks where they have the spaces to put them and unfortunately like if i think they but, asked they they asked for 
the gym, the old high school to be used for something else. And then right. It Right. Um, Something else that would serve the community. But you right. notice how there's never any space in like affluent communities for this kind of thing? Of course, because they pay the taxes to say no. And they also vote, vote and also they get, get their voices are heard. And also they put money behind people who are running for office. That's why and that's I, the problem. And they, this problem. May be that's why a lot of people, when they make when they grow up in situations like that, they try to get out of those communities. Well, maybe this is triggering for me because in the neighborhood where I grew up, um, it's now gentrified where it was predominantly black and now it's probably predominantly white. And if you drive over there now, everything all of a sudden magically appears that, you know, there, there are resources to renovate the neighborhood school and there's uh athletic fields and recreation that's centers because and money is coming in I've, yeah but that's what that is that that's it it's not that that's what they when they say they pricing people out of dc philadelphia and new york that's exactly what they're doing they're where were the resources when it was predominantly black what i'm saying is they're coming in under a uh, uh, different guys like they're not saying like it's obviously hmm. racist they're doing covert things they're saying well Hey, if you have a million dollars to pay for this house, you can live here. This is racist and it's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. You're you see how you're saying it's racist. It's racist uh is uh is the resources should, should be is is racism disguised as classism. You can say that. Well, racism and capitalism go hand in hand. That's classism. the problem. Yeah, one 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 is a Right. I'm I'm saying what they're doing is the way they're labeling it. If it's class, you can't say race to him because they'll say, well, this black person lives here. This black person lives here. They're basically saying if you have the money, like in San Francisco or in New York, you can live here. But they're pricing people out and they know a lot of people of color don't have that type of money or the ones that do have that type of money is deculturalized decultural rise for them well um i think they won at least the temporary restraining order to prevent the migrants from occupying the facility until the decision is decided by a judge so we will have to see what happens here but i'm for the residents yeah, I'm I'm for the residents too, but I hope everything works out with the migrant workers. Yeah. And let us move on. All right. So we move. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard Disco Airlines Flight 78. To the misuse of surveillance. Uh Black Lives Matter. Wow. I'll let you start with this one. Well, it appears here that the FBI used a controversial foreign surveillance authority in 2020 to investigate whether protesters involved in the Black Lives Matter movement had ties to terrorists. And this is according to two reports um, from the FBI or from released by the Office of the Director of National 
intelligence. Um, so apparently the FBI ran a quote unquote batch query related to 133 individuals that were arrested in connection with civil unrest and protest, Black Lives Matter protests between May 30th and June 18th of 2020. And there are concerns about the FBI and other agencies exceeding their authority and violating the privacy rights of Americans. Mm. So yeah, so they're trying, there's a debate on Capitol Hill now on whether to reauthorize this surveillance, surveillance tool, which is section, 702, section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance. How do you, how do you pronounce that? Surveillance? Yeah, surveillance. Surveillance Act, because it's about to expire at the end of the year. And so to me, this is really, I mean, it's, 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 it's a little shocking, although we all know that Big Brother is always watching. I mean, it, it reminds me of COINTELPRO from back in the day when they were spying on, you know, the civil rights, the civil rights movement. And it's like, do you really think people who are just resisting oppression and trying to find freedom in this country, do you really think they're part of, I mean, how is that terrorist or oh, how could that possibly be linked to terrorism? Um, this is what I'm thinking, but this is the excuse that they use, that they're just trying to, it's a matter of national security. And when they were asked about why this occurred, a senior FBI official told reporters that the query was conducted due to a lack of understanding on the part of the person who ran it. And that person received remedial training as well, which is hard to believe. I mean, I think they kind of knew what they were doing. That's the excuse that it makes it sound like there was a rogue a rogue FBI employee that sort of went against the policy and did this. But, you know, I just feel like they had the support of, of the agency. Yeah. Any organization, any black organization that um, collects a certain amount of money, uh, raises a certain amount of money and has a large following and set up, uh, best believe it's probably going to be infiltrated. Right. And remember, we remember um, there was a guy that was um, he was arrested. And I think he was convicted of releasing information about how American citizens are being Snowden. Yes. Yes. So that's what I'm saying. Like, we always knew that Big Brother's watching and that this happens. But then when you see it and you you see proof of, you know, there is George Orwell's 1984. The right. They're spying on Black Lives Matter. like. People are just trying to march for social justice and asking for fairness and equity in our in our society. And how is that? You know they what just, I mean? They, they're being treated like terrorists. Like they think that, you know, um, there could be a movement that grows out of it. It could mm -hmm. be a splinter group within the group um, that they think um, can do real harm 
So they want to keep a close eye on them. I'm not surprised at all at this, you know. I'm not. And that's what, what why we had House Negro Phil Negro. Because, you know, I had to say most of the, a lot of the House Negroes would tell Master when they was trying to uh, break out. Like, we breaking out tonight. You know? <laughs> And then they and, like massa, massa. You know, Toby and them said they're gonna get they gonna make a run for it tonight. You know, so so now they're just trying to cut out the middleman. Same thing with the neighborhood folks. Like they pay, and I the majority of people <laughs> why criminals, and I'm not against criminals getting caught, but the majority of reasons why criminals get caught is because folks talk in the neighborhood. They get well, I don't know. I guess five. it depends. No, that's true. That's the style. Like they, they catch most criminals because people tell. That's why you know, with snitches, uh, snitches, snitches get stitches, right? Yeah, right. Which is still a horrible thing. <laughs> so that's why I said it depends on the neighborhood. <laughs> Where I'm from, snitches get stitches. But I mean, we want people. I, I want people to to tell. Yeah. <laughs> Cause we want these crimes to be. We don't yeah. want crime in our communities. We want yeah, it. To we be. don't. We try to get money and move away from those communities, and um, that that's what happens. But we'll we're gonna keep following this to see um, what really really is going on. And let us move on. All right, so we have, and we might have done this before, Palmer's oil, and you know I have the coconut, the coconut hydrate body oil, and mm -hmm. the raw shea uh, nourish body. Uh, this is like shea butter, so you have vitamin E in both of them, and it moisturizes your skin. It's an oil based, so it's kind of like a blocker too. Um, but it gives you the shine. I don't know if y'all can see my head right now, but it's glistening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I I use these every day um, for my entire for body. Yeah, I don't even. I don't know the last time I saw ash since I've been uh, rocking <laughs> with the, uh, the coconut and the shea butter oil. So yeah, you can check that out and. Um, Tell us what you think. We have a question. It's a question. Address the question. This is a question. So what's the question? Answer the question. All right, so our weekly question this week is, you have to listen to this. If A is the father of B, but B is not the son of A, how is that possible? Once again, if A is the father of B, 
but B is not the son of A, how is that possible? Our question last week was, what never asks a question but gets answered all the time? And what was that? The telephone. All right, the telephone. So if you do know the answers uh, to this, make sure that you um, email us at potlookershow at gmail.com. P-O-T-L-I-Q-U-O-R-S-H-O-W at gmail.com. And so now we... Uh, we have a new segment. It's our topic talk. And let us move on. All right. So our topic talk is, is splitting the bills 50-50. Well, all right. All right. Uh, we're supposed to have a guest on with us, but I think we have a little technical difficulties with that. Um, so we call him. Yeah. While she calls him, I will <laughs> play a little music for you. Or you can tee up the issue. Uh, I don't have to tee it up. Did you get it? Oh, okay. He's on. Uh, it says device is not connected. But I heard that. Oh, he's not backstage. Uh, they will need to connect their mic before you can add them to the stream. So he was there know. before. Yeah, I don't know what the problem is. Let me remove him. Tell him to come back in. Okay. Well, tee up the tee up the issue. Okay. I have an issue to tee it up. It should the bills in the house be split 50-50 between the two partners in the house? Hello. Um, come back in. Okay. Um. Yeah. So this, but but this this issue arose out of something that Gabrielle Union said about her relationship with Dwayne Wade. Right. And she said that basically she was talking about this. I, I think she was talking about a different issue. She was kind of talking about the stress of how they both have to take care of not only their home, but their relatives' homes, you know, like take care of mama, take care of daddy, take care of your brothers and sisters and that kind of thing. And that it brought a lot of stress um, on her and she was kind of, you know, paranoid and stressed out thinking she had to work all the time and she wasn't going to have enough to take care of everybody. And then she just kind of, um, in passing mentioned that she splits the bills 50, 50 with Dwayne Wade. And everybody was like, <gasps> what? Like clutching their pearls. Like, I guess because of the fact that he's a multimillionaire and I think he's worth like maybe 170 million to her 40 million, which, is nothing to sneeze at, but you know, so I think 
she kind of had some trauma with hers because, you know, she was married to a football player before. Um, I can't remember his name, Chris, somebody that she was married to. And she took care of all the bills in that relationship. Like she was definitely the breadwinner in that relationship. And apparently he, he stepped out on her. And as a result, she said, okay, well, I'm, it's going to be tit for tat. And she stepped out on him. And I think what she learned in her mind is that he who holds the purse strings holds the power in the relationship, which to me didn't really make sense because if she paid all the bills and he's the one who initially stepped out, that kind of, you know, refutes her argument because he had no money, but he cheated anyway. So to me, it's, um, but that doesn't have to have anything to do with if you're talking about power in a relationship, because anybody can step out. Exactly. That's that's my point. And so it to me, it seemed like she would have learned that lesson that it's not about the money. It's really about who you choose as your partner. You want someone that you can love and respect, not someone who's necessarily going to be able to um, take care of your every financial need. You know what I mean? Because with or without money, if you're a person that is not an honorable person or not someone who can be respected, then the relationship's not going to be successful anyway, whether you have money or not, you know? So that's, that's kind of how I feel about it. I just feel like every relationship is different people do what works for them. There's some relationships where the woman is the breadwinner and they decide together that the man or the husband is going to be the one that stays home to take care of any kids that there may be, or to take care of the needs of the home. And that's their, that's, that's their arrangement. And so that's what works for them. Some people, it's the man who's the breadwinner and the woman. And then there's some people who decide that they both want to work, even if they both don't need to work. If, if, both want to work and that works for them. You see what I'm saying? So that's where I am with it. It's very, it's a very personal, subjective decision, but I will concede. And I think I will acknowledge that overall, I think it is generally true that he who holds the purse strings holds the power just in general, whether we're talking about governments, whether we're talking, you know what I mean? That's usually the case, but I think in relationships, it's a bit, it's a bit different. Um, and you know, I, I, I have to say another option is a hybrid where you may split some of the bills 50, 50, and then some of the bills you take full responsibility for For me, for example, that's how it works in my relationship. We have joint bills like mortgage and, and household uh, utilities and things like that, that we split 50, we agree to split 50, 50, but like my credit card bill, I pay on my own. My car note, I pay on my own. Do you see what I'm saying? And I like it like that because I don't want anybody tracking my spending, telling me what I can and cannot buy. You know, I want to be able to, you know, spend when I need to spend without having to clear with somebody. And that just works for us. And so it may be different for somebody else. What do you think? Well, before we go uh, along any further, we have one of the producers on the show to join us uh, because of his life experience, uh, Mr. Gregory Parker. 
And if y'all know, if y'all can see the resemblance, uh, <laughs> he is the oldest brother of my partner, Kim Parker Jackson. Um, there's a lot to say on this. I feel I don't like the statement, who holds the purse strings holds the power, because that means money is dictating the relationship. And I never... I think everything should be discussed. I think, you know, when you talk, oh, you can't hear me. Can I, no, can I clarify? I didn't say that. What did you say? I said that's a true statement, generally speaking, but not in relationships. Remember I said that, like for governments and things okay. like that. That's why America is the most powerful country in the world because yeah, you, you, you of get its away. economic power. But, but you're getting away from the household. And I, I'm not, I didn't say you did it. I said I didn't like that statement that he holds the, he who holds the, and I'm talking about within a marriage. Right. And now, I said it's not, doesn't apply within a marriage. I'm not trying to get on you. I'm trying okay, to get on your statement. Go right. Go so <laughs> so he who holds <laughs> Uh, the money holds the power. I don't, I'll say that again. I don't like that statement because I, I feel like then the money will dictate the relationship. I think a lot of things should be discussed. Like say for instance, when you talked about, I want to be able to spend what I want to spend without anybody checking on. I don't like that either. I think this should be a certain amount of money that you can spend without somebody checking on it. But if you go on to purchase a car, I don't expect one day I go to work, I come home, you pull up in a brand new whip. Like, <laughs> like even though you might make more money than me, I think something like that should be discussed, right? Before you do it. But what if, what if your spouse needs a car? I'm sure that will be discussed, babe. I need a car. Okay. You know what, what we looking at, Bob, but this is what I want. Okay. And that person could be the, 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 the partner could be all for you getting a car, but he or she might be like, Hey, my man worked down at Cadillac, but you didn't know that, you know, he didn't know you wanted to get a Cadillac. You just came home. He would have gave you a, di I'm just saying it's not, I don't think when you tell your partner, your life partner, who you claim to love something that they're going to block you. If they are going to block you, then that's a different situation, a uh, problem you may have in, the, in, within the marriage. I think, like I said, everything is discussed. So maybe y'all limit is like, if I purchase something under a thousand dollars, then I shouldn't have to tell you anything, you know, or close to it. And that's fine. Go out and get it, you know, or whatever it is, 2005, whatever it is. But um, I would think big purchase items would like when I buy a television here, like we we brought uh, an 85 inch television that was discussed. Babe, I want to get I know we got a 65. But I want to get the 85 for the 65 in the room, blah, blah, blah. She's like, OK, did my research. This is what I'm looking at. This is what I'm looking for. Maybe you should try this. I, that's and but are you guys gonna share the TV? She watches it too. Yeah, we're gonna share right, the so TV. So she should be in on the discussion. That makes sense. You said a key word. You said I don't like that. When I said I want to be able to spend on my credit card the way I want to spend because I'm the one that's gonna be paying the credit card bill. You said I don't like that, and yeah. that's the key word. That's why I said relationships are very subjective. You don't like that, but you're not in my relationship. So that mm. works for your I, relationship. You, you, you always, wait, hold on. You but always, you always going pit for pat. I'm not trying I'm to. Not going you. Pit I'm not going. Hold on, hold on, hold on. No, you do this. 
I'm trying to express my opinion on how I feel. It's not to denigrate your household. It's not. So when I say I don't like something, I'm not saying, Kim, I don't like that you and Ryan do that. I don't, I don't do that. I'm just okay, saying. So you're I, saying that's not going to work for my relationship. For, you mean my relationship? You're saying, Kim, I understand how you things work in your household, but that wouldn't work in my household because I don't like that. Right. I ain't even taking it that deep. I'm just telling you <laughs> what I don't like telling like our whole our audience and viewers like my opinion on this is this. And I don't mean it to. And if I come across like I'm denigrating you, I apologize because I'm definitely not trying to do no, that. I didn't okay. take it that way. No. Go ahead, uh, Gregory. What you got? Well, thanks for having me on your program today, uh, uh, Dr. A. Uh, and I can see. Both of you have a conflict <laughs> between your opinions when it comes to relationships. And, and, and the one thing we have to consider is marriage. It can't work unless you have some, some ground rules. You have to have some ground rules. And if you make up the rules that only are good for you, you're going to have issues. Definitely, It's not going to last. Average marriages don't last in America and, and all around the world. They just don't last because there are no ground rules. How long have you and been there? Uh, in, in two months, it will be 45 years. So Ooh. 44 years and some months. 10 months, yeah. 10 months. So there, there, there had to be some ground rules established. So, I mean, we've been through many things. We've gone through the process that you have, where you and your husband split 50-50. We've gone through the, the rules that Dr. A has. So there's a common ground that we had to come to, mm -hmm. and that works for us. But there has to be some ground rules that you establish. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Somebody's so going to have the, a problem. What was the final... Uh, solution that worked for for you? Well, it, it, it wasn't so much a solution, but uh, it was life occurrence. Okay, okay. Uh, my wife, in one occasion, um, Howard University, she was working as a dietitian at Howard University, and she got laid off. Mm -hmm. So that changed some things. Right. And, but she got another job. So one, and so temporarily, you handle temporarily, all the bills? I, I, I had to take all, all the bills. Okay. Now, what am I going to do, complain? I'm just going to play 50-50? <laughs> That's not going to work. That's so sometimes it's 100-0, depending on it's the circumstances. 100-0. It's, it, it's, it's put it this way. When, when the situation occurred where life circumstances raised his head mm -hmm. at that point it was my responsibility as the husband to take care of my family regardless of what my wife was doing so mm -hmm. it wasn't no 50 50 i had to take care of about 100 percent yeah so 100 percent was my responsibility so i took on that role 100 percent, and i have been taking on that role ever since yeah and, and 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 I have such a wife, she loves me enough that when 
she got in a position where she got another job. When she used her money, we call that discretionary money. Whatever she wanted to do with that money, that was hers. But she included me on some of those things. Not because I asked her to, not because I'm, oh, I'm spending all my money on and I got to pay for everything. I'm crying like a baby. I took on the role of the husband. There's a, and this, this is, this is based on not only some ground rules, but some, some spiritual principles, mm -hmm. spiritual principles. Help us because out. a marriage is in the similitude or the example of Christ and the church. But many people don't know that. Mm -hmm. When you get the understanding that Christ and the church is the uh, is the relationship of the marriage, husband and wife, you would think differently. Differently, how you you walk about and uh, conduct yourselves in your marriage, mm. because what did Christ do? He died for us. Even when we didn't want him, that's 100 zero. Yep. So now that we come to the knowledge of Christ, so now we're supposed to accept what he did, even though we didn't want him at the time. So when a husband looks at his wife, even if she rebels against him and she doesn't want to pay the bills that she wants should be paying or, or, or you set up. You don't consider that. You consider the relationship that Christ and the church who gave himself for it. He loved it so much. He gave himself for it. The husband's supposed to do the same. The matter of fact, there's a verse in Ephesians chapter five, and I don't want to preach, but it's the principle under which this thing is established. And it's a, a, a verse that says, husbands, love your wives. Mm. Even as Christ had loved the church and gave himself for it. So basically what God is relating to the husband, treat your, your wife as Christ treats his church and gave himself for it. So I don't have no principles to do otherwise. One, if she don't do cook, if she don't cook me a hot dog, <laughs> I still got to do 100%. Mm -hmm. If she don't wash my dirty drawers, I still have to do 100%. Right. If she don't give me a, buy me a hot, a, a, a popsicle <laughs> with her discretionary money, I still have to do 100%. So the Jesus. principles are established. Yeah. And if those principles are established, that household will function as Christ in the church. Not only like Christ in the church, but it's like a business. I treat it also like a business. My, my household is like, I run like a business. Yeah. So who has to pay the bills? The bills got to be paid. See, I go to that, that, to that go fifth gospel. I go to that fifth gospel, uh, the book of Teddy Pendergrass. Yeah, I think I, I got to let her go. <laughs> yeah, right. You just okay. you just got your premarital. That's yeah. your premarital counseling. You just got right. 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 No, no. I I, I understand that. Um, Are you ready for that? Uh, am I ready for what? 
for the hundred zero. Well, if need be, if need be, I think that's how we operate anyway. I don't look at mine in hers. Like to me, what I have, she has, and she knows that I give my last dime to her mm-hmm. if she needed it. So she can trust in that. And mine's is without reluctance. <laughs> I think she would do the same thing for me, but with a little reluctance, you know. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, she still, you know, will will give it. So we worked as as a partnership pretty well when it comes to um, money. Um, I, I okay. would say that. sometimes. Sometimes there's discussions that can get heated, um, but that doesn't split us apart. That might send us to our two corners and then we, you know, simmer down or calm down or relax and then come back at it again and look at it a different way to see how things can work. But there's never, no, I ain't doing that. No, I ain't, you know, because I don't think either one of us asks past need. You know, if well, that makes sense, you. like we we haven't asked anything like past needs. I think once we get ourselves needs, if there's a need for something, like you said, if your wife needs a car, then yeah, then by all means, like yeah, her needing a car is me needing a car. So right. you need that one car, especially we down here in Houston. We don't have public transportation like that. You have mm-hmm. to drive everywhere. Do you guys split your car notes 50-50 or you just each pay your own yeah, car? We pay your car notes. We pay so that's well, similar to our situation. We don't have one joint account doing that. Okay. In, in my case, I, I, I purchased her a car. Mm. Well, let me ask you this, Brother Parker. Yes. <laughs> Sister Kim. <laughs> <laughs> Explain if you can, if you will. Uh, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, mm-hmm. and gave himself. But wives, but wives respect your husband, right? Why? Okay, there's a there's a, a a lack of understanding of scripture. Mm-hmm. Just haven't gone deep enough into the scripture. There's a scripture that says, "Husband, uh, 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 wives love your husband." Uh, yeah, yeah. But can you speak on wives respect your husband? What well, you have to love them to respect them. Because I believe if you respect your, if you can respect your husband. That's a man that's going to be, that's going to be able to contribute to the household financially in some way or another, whether it's by covering what if he does? you know the what household while the wife works or whether it's actually financially. Do you know what I mean? What you if he does? If, if he doesn't do that, mm-hmm. like I said, he will he will be able to contribute in some way, right? If it's a yeah, person that can be respected, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, That's because he's 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 ground rules are he's required to take care of his family. Right, and that can come in many forms. Right, so when you say respect your husbands, why don't you say love your husbands? Well, it should be both, shouldn't it? Yeah, okay. because love has respect. 
You can't love without respect. Okay. You can't love without respect. Love has is not does not fail. It cannot Shante, fail. Shante think, uh, Dr. A is thinking like me, like no. I know I know where you're going <laughs> with it, but no. He said love like that. I, I was about to uh, rock that music, soul child. <laughs> Which one? The love song, because he no. held it out for a long time. Right. No, I agree with that. You can't uh, you 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 can't love someone if you don't respect them. Like, that, them. Don't work. that don't even make common sense. Right? That doesn't make sense at all. Okay, well so let me ask when, you. When 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 this when when you took brought the scripture respect, most most women will go to those verses and say, Look, I don't have to love him, I just have to respect him. No. <laughs> no. You have to respect that man. Because he's the head of the household. He's supposed to be, or should be. And he should be representing himself in that household. And you should be able to, without any problem, give him that respect as a head of the household. Because he's not going to hurt himself because you are a part of him. Right. So relationships don't work because the ground rules are broken. Mm. They're broken. But you do have to be someone who is worthy of respect. You can't be... That's what I was Why would you go after a man if you don't respect him? <laughs> That's like a good respect. question. And we as women have to begin to really come to terms with that and really be open and honest about that, about who we are choosing to have in our lives. We have yeah. to be very, very careful. Yeah. Well, if you a know? man presents himself in a respectful manner, that's the only thing. Uh, you can go on. You can pray and ask God for discernment. So maybe he, you, you you might see some things out, or God might lead a messenger to you. Yeah. Um, sometimes, 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 like, uh, well, I ain't gonna put her business out there like that. But I'm saying sometimes <laughs> you might hear messages from different people that you know that don't know each other. Right. Right. And sometimes you have to listen to like how are these messages come like if God put these people in your lives and they close friends of y'all and neither one of those friends know each other, but they're all seeing the same thing and telling you the same thing. I mm -hmm. see that as a message from my right. Like, right. And I then also Yeah. And, and I was just gonna add also sometimes you have to take the time to see someone's uh, character over time. Yeah. That's so what Corden was for. Right. And that's kind of like absent today. Right. Now here's here's a here's a here's a a principle that is is gonna make some people a little upset. Right. And that is when you're in a relationship or when you get married, you made a vow. Mm -hmm. Who'd you make the vow to? God. God, exactly, and he's he's requiring you to keep that vow. So when you say that you would do this till death do you part, you just made a commitment for life. There's no getting out. Here's what we do: we want to get out. I don't. I, I'm not happy. But that's your problem. Make yourself happy. <laughs> 
That's a good point. Happiness is a feeling. That's something you can do for yourself. And feelings change. Love is not a feeling. Love is a responsibility. So when you're in the situations that you're in, and when we in these marriages that we we made a vow and a commitment, keep the commitment. Remember the commitment. And that will keep you on the the path to fulfilling your requirements. Right. And that's, and we, that's what they're, they're, I remember in one case, my older sister, not my oldest, but Kim, you, you know, Diane, who was older mm-hmm. than I was. Yeah. She looked at me at one point when, when, uh, my wife Janet, she she uh, she quit her job. She retired. She, well, she didn't quite retire. She just quit. She couldn't do it. Uh, she didn't want to be a dietitian any longer, so she quit. So um, she came home that day and told me, "Well, I quit my job." <laughs> Diane looked at me when she found out. She said, "I thought for sure you were going to get a divorce," and I was ready. I was ready. I was about to do it. But then I got the rules. I went back to the rules and the principles. I said, boy, I'm stuck in these principles. This principle got me, I'm, I'm locked in. So when I, I realized I still had a requirement, then I set my goal and established a different principle to, 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 to address that situation that she did, and sure enough, God made it w- a way for me to fulfill my responsibility with her not working, and it's it's been okay ever since. I pay what all the bills, and I pay all the bills by all the cars. All she does with her money is whatever she wants, and thank God she includes me on it. We travel all over the world, and she In includes case- me on. It doesn't seem like that would be grounds for divorce of your spouse quitting their job. But I guess the issue was it would have been great if she had discussed that with you before. (laughs) That would have been nice to know. If your husband came home, quit his job and wouldn't tell you anything until it was done. Uh, yeah, that's a little messed up. A great deal of black women would have would have said, I see you. (laughs) I'm out. I'm out. But let me ask you guys this. So so we're talking about splitting the bills 50-50. So this is like a practical question. Do you think that would, if if you're a couple and you decide that that's what you want to do, do you think it makes a difference how much each person makes? Like, does it matter if one makes a lot more than the other? Should it still be 50 that's, that's, that's what I'll jump in. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I, I am not ashamed to say it. Because let's look at history. The reason why the men were uh, to, uh, protectors and providers, because there were a time when women weren't working. It, it's still discriminating in the workplace for women. They still only make like 59 cents or 69 cents to the to the dollar Asian women make the most women, most money out of the women, you know, as far as close to the dollar. So you, you going back in the 50s, 60s where black women did work, they clean houses and things of that nature. And there were educators then like, I'm not going to say there weren't any physicians or piano teachers or teachers and things of that nature, especially in the South. Yes. But there was a time where, you know, a woman depended on a man. 
Right. But then 70s, 80s came around, 90s. These black women, black women outnumber, black collegiate women outnumber black collegiate men by far. Right. right. And I'm not saying that's the only place where black men can get jobs. There's plenty of black men that go to vocational school and come out and they do quite well. Right. Mm -hmm. Economically. But what I'm saying now, you have women who are engineers, who are pharmacists, who are physicians. I'm talking. We're talking to a, an attorney now mm -hmm. who's been an attorney for what, over 25 years, uh, almost over 30, almost 30 years. Yes. Long time. Long time. Yeah. Yeah, long time. <laughs> right. So what I'm saying is like, I think it should be fair and equitable. That's what I do. And I would slide. If I'm married to a woman that makes $900,000 and I'm making $80,000, I ain't paying all the bills by myself. You're not paying if, she if she don't recognize that, that'd probably be zero or hundred to her if that was the branch between. Because like you said, like what if we put our money in the pot, it'll be nine eighty a year, <laughs> you know? You could take the money out the pot then, but I have access to that's a lot of money. But if you're talking about minimal, yeah, I can understand that. Well, I let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Dr. A. I got some Go brothers. I have some brothers who don't want their wives to pay a bill. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't have anything to them being a provider. That's feeding their ego. I take care of my woman. Mm -hmm. Let me and ask then, you this. What what if what if you can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. It, what if you did pay all the bills? You think your wife with nine hundred thousand dollars a year would sit back and not and not take care of you? She will respect you. Yeah, she will love you for it. Yeah, but I think any wife that I was with that made that mo money would be like, nah, baby, you ain't. Don't worry about it. I got you. <laughs> I'm charming in that way, I guess. <laughs> I look at her with seven heads. because. But it, let me say this. Here's a caveat. If we're living under my means, like under my means of $80,000, then yeah, that's different. But if we living under her means, like we bought that house because she makes that $900,000 a year and we bought the house based on like her salary, of course she's going to have to because I wouldn't be able to afford that. But yeah. if we were living under the means of somebody that's making like $100,000 a year and you purchase a house based on that, I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, I can do that. And yeah, she probably would pay for every meal we went out to, every vacation we went out to, every holiday party or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's a personal decision. Yeah. Uh, but I know how much, how, how what type of check you would get with $900,000 a year. And it okay, just when we, when my wife and I first started out, um, um, she is a licensed and uh, dietitian. She passed the exam her right. first goal. Um, right out of out of college, and so she was making uh, I say about six thousand dollars more than I was back in the seventies when I first started out. Per month or per year? Per month, per 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 month, she was making that much more than I was. Uh, what? Well, oh, actually, that that was a year. That okay, was a year. that's different then. Yeah, that was a year. And so you paying all the bills? That's still that's a similar salary. Say mm. if she. Making that per month, mm -hmm. 
more than you. Like you brought home five, she brought home eleven, and that right. Be like nah, nah yeah, but her her monthly income was a, a much more equivalent to what I was bringing home. Yeah. Okay. So 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 when we first started out, it was a 50-50 kind of thing. So out of out of necessity, it 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 morphed itself into me paying a hundred because she lost the job when she got laid off, and the second one she she retired when she just couldn't do it anymore. She didn't want to do it anymore. So it was a, incumbent upon me to take care. Of. What was I going to do? Complain? I, but I get that. I'm saying it only in what what Kim. And it said. just stayed that way over the years, and even up until this day, we're retired now. I've been retired over almost 15 years, and mm. she's been retired maybe five or six. Mm. What's saying? And, yeah. and, that and, and, and to this day, it's Me? still that same way. Yeah. What say I about yeah, what? About yeah. that? About a difference of uh, I mean income. I, like I said, it's very, very personal. But I would hope that if the role, if if the roles were reversed, Gregory, in your situation, and you mm -hmm. had lost your job, mm -hmm. I think there's many relationships where a woman will will hold it down in the meantime as well. Sure, sure. I mean, to me, sure. it's not just about because you are a man and you have taken on this responsibility of having a family that the burden falls completely on you. It really depends on the situation. I mean, if you're in a committed relationship with someone and as a woman, if your husband is laid off, then what are you, you're not going to divorce him. Right. You're okay, going to hold the family down here, until you can do better. Right. Yeah, but here's the thing you have to deal with. What if I don't want to work anymore? That's, that's a, that's, that's a discussion. That's a discussion that's because a discussion. that wasn't a discussion. She just left. Well, right. So and that's why I, I said that, that was what, what you think. Like, what yeah. you think a black woman would do if a black man quit his job and don't didn't and, and just I just can't do it no more? It depends on how old they are. That's different. It yeah. just depends. Yeah. I if mean, they don't work 40 something years, then I don't think she Well, no, this wasn't no 40 something years. This was we were still young. Uh, okay, well, yeah, she, she might. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, it's not they just leaving you because you left your job. It's my, they might want something, like like kids. They might want kids. And if you say you're not going to work, you know, that, that's going to hurt her positive. Yeah, yeah, make it difficult for her to raise children and things of that, that nature. But I want to get back to what you first said, the ground rules. Mm -hmm. So me and my girlfriend met, we, you know, she was going through a divorce. So I laid back a little bit and, you know, thank God for having friends, you know, women friends that say, hey, she just went through a divorce. So just, you know, relax a little bit. She'll come around. And she did come around. So we had made, we set up ground rules. I went on she, to get my master's. And then after I got my master's, she said, you know, we can join forces, like come together while you go get your PhD. And I'm working, she was working in corporate America, making good money. So it enabled me to get an apartment up where school was. And we see, she still held down the house where we were living in. And so, and I wasn't making any money really when I was in school. And then when her kids left school, she graduated from high school. She was able to come up and, um, 
go to college with me and get her her PhD along with me. So we stayed up in College Station for three years. So we had everything set up. This is how we would move. And so when I started working, she still was in her last year of the PhD program. So she didn't pay anything. Or maybe she paid one bill. But I paid everything then because I had the salary coming in. There you go. It was nothing to it. like, And I still pay more because I have a bigger salary coming in. Right. I have no issues with that whatsoever. Because right. when she had the bigger salary, she paid the majority of it while I was going to school. So we definitely have an understanding. But like I said, if there's anything she needs or her kids need, <coughs> and I have it, they and they have it. Yeah, but right. my, my whole principle is even if, I mean, in your circumstances, y'all ended up with the money. But what if you don't have the money or or, or um, uh, you don't have the principles set and well, y'all fighting over mm-hmm. y'all fighting mm-hmm. over finances on who's going to do right. what? Right. Well, that, well that's I'm not a, that's not an issue in my circumstance, because I'm saying regardless of what you decide between the two of you, it's my responsibility as the husband of the of the family. Mm-hmm. You, we, we can fight over it, but I still got to pay him. <laughs> at the end of the day, yeah. At the I, end of the day. Our, our situation was a little different. Okay. Yeah. She and that's had what I'm saying. Had, yeah, well, I'm saying because she had two kids who had a father. Right. You know, so it was different. Even though I gave to them, but he was he was still around. Like they had contact with him. So you know, you guys, the, you know, another important factor that we didn't talk to talk about it also depends on whether the two in the relationship are on the same page financially in terms of both being uh, financially compatible financially compatible exactly because what if one is a spendthrift and one is a saver that's one something is, you should know before you get married exactly because it does it, otherwise it, it's not going to work i mean it helps if you can t- both decide that okay we're going to live below our means because that gives you a little bit of cushion so that if somebody does decide that they need to retire or they can't take it anymore, they get laid off, you can make it, you know, and you're not leaving the other person with bills that they can't manage on their own. So in in our case, I think we, we established a rule a hundred dollars or more. Look, we got to talk this through Okay, a hundred dollars or more. Wow. We'll, we'll talk about it. But you, so, y'all got married in what, 77 or something like that? 78. 70, 1978. Yeah, 78. So, yeah, right. $100 was some bucks back then. Right. Cost of living was a little <laughs> yeah, lower. That would stretch a lot further than it would. Yes, right? sir. Yeah, yeah $100 would be thousand by the, by the band now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. It'd be one rack, man, probably by now. Probably, yeah. <laughs> it was like 10 cents back then. Wow. So the principles, if they're established, your your marriage should last. Mm. And like any other marriage, I mean, sometimes you got to go through therapy. Sometimes we just don't communicate properly. Therapy can help you uh, learn how to communicate with one another. Yeah, mm-hmm. we definitely I, I, I'm definitely a supporter of that. All right, so we're gonna to have to wrap this up. This was an excellent conversation. We thank Brother Gregory for coming on. Hopefully, thank you, can you so come much back for having me. 
and we will talk to you soon, brother. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye bye. All right. That was good. He was. He was good. <laughs> you yeah. got your little premarital counseling. Yeah. And everything. Yeah. He had a lot to say. He definitely had a lot to say. Yeah. So where are we? Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Where are we? Let us move on. Blackness. Keep it, keep on. Right. So today, for our little known Black history fact, we want to highlight Josiah T. Walls. Josiah Thomas Walls was born on December 30th, 1842, and he was a United States congressman who served three terms in the United States Congress between 1871 in 1876. He was one of the first African Americans in the United States Congress elected during the Reconstruction era. And he was the first Black person to be elected to Congress from Florida. He also served four terms in the Florida Senate. Josiah Thomas Walls, our little known Black history fact. All right, Josiah Thomas Wall. Well, all right. And let us move on. I like, I like, I like it. I like, I like, I like it. All right. So our third plug of day is third plug of the day is always our podcast. And this week is the Black Girl Podcast. Um Black Girl Podcast is uh, a new audio series created by Scotty Beam, Gia Peppers, Sophia Bex, and Alicia, right? After mm -hmm. the five model phenoms met and became friends at Hip Hop's most iconic station, Hot 97, they decided to make their hilarious conversation about life issues, sisterhood, pop culture, love, growth, and the pursuit of their dreams to the public. Listen every week as their differing of opinions and life experiences lead them to understand themselves in the world around them a little bit better. Hopefully, y'all laugh, argue, and learn something about yourselves too. Follow us on Twitter and IG at Black Girl Pod. So, Black Girl Podcast is definitely it. Well, all right. All right. And let us move on.
Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. All right. So Chauvin, the gentleman who eradicated George Floyd, the cop, um, by kneeling on his neck, wants the Minnesota Supreme Court to review the conviction of George Floyd's uh, murder. And to that, we say, oh, hell no. Okay. It's that simple. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> and let us move on. All right, so we want to give it up to ASAP Rocky and Rihanna with their new baby. Congratulations on their new baby. And they named it after Wu Tang's leader, Rizza. You got anything to say about that? I love that. I think that is so unique. And I think it's cool. I love the Wu Tang clan. So I just think this is awesome. Apropos with her being with with them both being in the music industry. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is great. It just speaks to who they are as a family. And I think that also the baby is named after his dad as well. Right. The middle name and the last name. Uh, yes. I'm, not, I'm not sure on that. His name is Riza. Athelston Mayers. M-A-Y-E-R-S. I'm sure everybody will call him Rizza. And Rizza's name ain't really Rizza. <laughs> I know. I forgot because I'm watching the series and I forgot what his actual, let me see, what is Rizza's actual name? What, what series are you watching? With the Wu-Tang. Wu -Tang oh, 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 yeah. yeah. It's on uh, Hulu. What's it? Yeah, I watched it. Yeah. I'm caught up three seasons. <laughs> Third season is a little different, but his name is Robert Fitzgerald Diggs. Yeah, Robert Fitzgerald Diggs. Yeah. All right, that's awesome. Such a okay. Cute as we wrap up, we always talk about our plugs first. It was Taste Bake Shop. Uh, then we had Palmer's Oil, and the last thing was the Black Girl Podcast. Uh, <laughs> Wow for the week was by Zora Neale Hurston. There are years that ask questions and years that answer. What's going on? Uh, Majority uh, Taylor Green and Jamal Bowman had a little verbal skirmish. Um, South Shore neighbors sued to stop city from opening up temporary migrant shelter at their old high school. And FBI misused surveillance authorities to investigate Black Lives Matter. Weekly question. If oh, I'm if sorry. A if A is the father of B, but B is not the son of A, how is that possible? Our topic talk, uh, Mr. Gregory Parker joined in. Splitting the bills 50-50. Uh, our little known black history fact was from Josiah T. Walls. Um, I all hell no was Chauvin, one in the Minnesota Supreme Court to review the conviction of the George Floyd murderer. And we gave it up to ASAP Rocky and Rihanna and their baby Rizza. So as in always, we depart from you by... Thank you, everybody, for taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us. And as always in parting, we wish you love, peace, 
and soul. And so, and this show was produced by myself, Kim Parker, Jackson, Bobby Parker, and Gregory Parker. We will see you next week. Peace.